Last year for the month of February, we did an all Burt Reynolds month, and that was, was kind that of, last year. <laughs> wasn't it last year? No, I think it was. Phil, like it was two years ago. Wasn't no, it? I don't remember shit. I mean, I I don't know what we did last February. No, I thought it was last year. I thought it was twenty twenty. I thought it was twenty twenty one. I don't remember. Seems like two years ago, but whatever, man. I, February. February. Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Wolf. It's Valentine's month. <laughs> yeah. Wait, it's February already. What the Feb- fuck? I know. What the what what the fuck actually? Here we are. Yeah. You, you already look, you know what this is. And there's the likelihood that you haven't seen this movie yet is very slim. I don't care how old you are. If you're listening to us, you've probably seen this more than one time. Yeah. You either grew up with it because you're our age or you grew up with it. And it was on cable every day or your every parents day. are our age. One yeah. or the other. So it's something like that. Something like that. We are starting our entire John Candy month with Summer Rental. Yes. This movie, it's like, it's so funny because when we watched movies that we've, we're going back to review again and certain things were, were uh, that were familiar, things that we forgot, not remembering how long it's been since we've seen it. I felt like I just saw this. Yeah, and you know what else I want to say is this movie gets better every fucking time I watch it. <laughs> totally. Like I don't I don't know totally. why, but I fall in love with it all over again every yep. time I watch it. And and most of that there's so many things I like about this movie, but the biggest reason is John Candy. Yeah. I don't know what else to say, but there is just something magical about John Candy, especially I mean, I would say this is kind of his peak. Is this is the first movie I remember as a kid where he was the leading man, yep. he was the focal point. He's the main character. You know, he had been in other things that we love, like Stripes. Blues Brothers. All these pieces, right? But this is the first time we get a movie built around John Candy. Yeah. And, and, and how odd was it at the time for somebody like John Candy to get his own starring vehicle? Right. Right? Yeah. He wasn't like Eddie Murphy. He wasn't svelte. He, you know, he was a big, jolly... I mean, it's funny because if you look at him in this movie, I mean, you know, I always remember people, oh, everyone, you know, when I was a kid, oh, John Candy, he's funny, but he's only funny because he's fat. He's not even fat, man. He's just a big fucking guy. Oh, yeah. And this, out of all the movies too, this is probably where he could, you could just see, yeah, he's a big dude. Yeah. He's got a little, he's a little big out front, but he's, he's a tall Dude, dude. He's tall. And if you look at his legs and shorts, I mean, it's not like even they're not like, oh yeah, he's a, he's just a big barrel chested cat, you know, probably yeah. grew up drinking beer and playing hockey. And you can see that in the, the most famous scene for, or the most famous uh-huh. shot from the movie is him walking across this crowded beach. With a hockey jersey on. <laughs> with, his, with his Blackhawks, Blackhawks jersey, jersey on. Blackhawks jersey on, yeah. And carrying the smallest kid of the, of, of the three that he's got. And he's spilling water out of the carrying cooler. Carrying an ice chest. It's just, yeah. But that's, that's when you see him, I go, oh my gosh, he's just a big guy. And that's all there is to that. 
I know when people talk about the talk about the the quintessential John Candy movie, I'm like, yeah, Uncle Buck's an easy go to, and he's wonderful, and it's a wonderful yes. movie. Sure, but this and this, like you said, not just because it, to our memory anyway, he is this is his first time where his face is more prominently on the poster. We've seen him paired up with Tom Hanks, yeah, Eugene Levy, everybody. But Paramount, this is back when Paramount wasn't afraid to to take a chance with somebody like this. And then same thing with, okay, look, Mark Harmon was big. Right. But, you know, two years later, totally. he's going to get summer school. But And that's Carl Reiner, dude. And that's Carl Reiner again. Both these. Both yes. of these. And speaking of Carl Reiner, just a year before this did All of Me with Lily Tomlin yeah. and Steve Martin. That thing blew up because nobody expected that movie to do as well as it did. It was a, it did well in theatrical and it did really well on VHS and home video as well. It's uh, funny, right? When you think of Carl Reiner and you, like all of me, this summer school, all the movies I enjoy way more than the jerk. <laughs> and, and if you, if people were like, if you were to ask them, what's the one Carl Reiner movie? 90% of people, I, I want to say they default to the jerk, right, right? Right. But all three of the movies we just named are better than the jerk. You know, since we already mentioned the director of this, I want to talk about two other things before we get to the cast and what an amazing cast it is too. Yes. Very houses for more of an unusual pairing. You've got Rick Waite as the DP on this. This this guy does every like big thing there is. And here he is doing this. I don't know if it's just one of those things we talked about. Some DPs just keep working to keep working. Some keep on retainer. So they're like, you know, working on a Walter Hill movie, let's say. Right. <laughs> In between those, they got to make, they got to pay the bills. And that's what they're doing here. And the score is from Alan Silvestri. In 1985, yep. how has he had the time? I mean, people say how oh, John Williams worked a lot. Dude, Alan Silvestri was pumping out three or four movies a year. Yeah. And, it, and it's and it's fun too, because when you get to the end of the movie, the third act of this where the, they have the the big showdown. I'm not breaking, I'm not going to care about what order we're telling the story in, but they have this regatta, right? And it's a big sailboat race. By the way, remarkably similar to One Crazy Summer. The fucking yep. plot of this movie is completely stolen by One Crazy Summer. I mean, completely. Yes. Completely, because someone's going to get kicked out of their house. In this case, you're going to lose their summer rental and have to go home back to Chicago. <laughs> yep. Or someone's going to lose their bar unless they make all this money off of a bet that comes down to a sailboat race at the end. It's the same fucking movie, except as wonderful as I think One Crazy Summer is, it doesn't have close to the charm no. that John Candy brings to Summer Rental. John Cusack doesn't have one-tenth of the charm in that movie that Candy has in this movie. And we, and we, we love, love John. <laughs> Absolutely. But I'm saying there's, there's something, the reason that we, well, for one of the reasons we picked February to do John Candy Month is because we love John Candy. And yep. there's just... I've never, I've never known a person who said, oh, I don't care for John Candy. I, I don't know that person. Nope. And, and, and I don't want to know that person, whoever it is. Right. If you don't like John Candy, then yeah. I mean, I haven't met you and I hope I don't. Right. <laughs> I don't want to know you either. Yeah. Right. So yes, there's so many good things about this movie. Carl Reiner, Rick Waite. Dude, what's funny is like, now that I'm thinking about it, we'll probably talk about this at some point, but like I, I texted you when I was finishing up the movie when uh, they go to the movie theater, right? right? And then we see all the posters on the wall. It's funny because Rick Waite actually was the director of photography on Footloose, right. and, which is their poster <laughs> is right dead center in the frame behind Carrie Green. 
in the in the movie theater, and it's just it's it's just such a like it's a nice little Easter egg. I'm sure it's something I'd never really noticed before, and this time through it, I know there's a lot of those kind of things. Right. But you know, I'll save all that for later. Do you want to go right into the cast because the cast in this movie is fantastic? I mean, let's go back to the Rick Wake theme for a second too, and, yep. and the thing that you note, you said you, yeah, you see a Dragon Slayer. Yep. Poster, you see uh, Footloose, you see Uncommon Un- Valor. Back to the right, you see the preview poster for Friday the 13th Part 5, which actually came out about six months before Summer Rental actually was right. released. Uncommon Valor at that point was three years old, and Footloose was the year before? 84, yeah, right? it was 84, yep. What, and again, you all four of those posters, their tie-in clearly is that they're all Paramount releases. and Exactly. What, but, the, you know, when you're watching this scene, that scene in particular in the movie theater, first of all, the dorky kid, John Larroquette's kid. Yes. <laughs> He's wearing his headphones backwards. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like the prop guy. So was that the prop guy? Or do you think that the actor was just like, you kept taking him on and off and he put him on? Or do you think it's intentional and he's just like, it's supposed to be a dork? Yeah, it could, it could be any of those or all of those. <laughs> yes, exactly. Any and or all. Right. Like you noted earlier, John Candy and Stripes, this is a reunion for him and Larroquette. Yeah. And, and again, when I saw his name at the beginning of the movie, I'm like, oh shit, I forgot he was in this. He's not in it a lot. He's in a couple of moments, but he's, he's nice because he's just playing John Larroquette. He's not playing some dickhead. Like he's not Dan Fielding from Night Court. <laughs> nope. He's not the douchey lieutenant from Stripes. Yeah. He's just playing a normal, nice guy. Right. And no, the, the dickhead in this... <laughs> Oh, dude. And look, right? Like if there was a better, I'll give you a one-two punch for dickhead of the 80s. And they're both Richard Crenna. Yeah. (laughs) Because between this and the Flamingo Kid. Yep. Just the year before, right? Right. I mean, Richard Crenna kind of made a career. Like this was like, these were comebacks for him. He was in his mid fifties at this point. Yeah. And he was best known for, to me anyway, from the real McCoy's. See, for me, I'm like, I kind of knew him here and there. But, Body heat. But the first, for the, the, the first Bloodwood in 82 was really right. where I got a sense of Colonel who Troutman. he was. And then he, of course, he plays Troutman earlier in the year, like about, about four months or three months before Summer Rental comes out. But boy, he plays this character to the hilt and he Dude. doesn't fuck around. No, he's so great at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, he really is. It's like, and if you know him, all you have to do is in the same year. Watch First Blood Part Two and watch Summer Rental, and people say he's kind of one note comes from TV game, a little bit of the old feature film area, but you can see he's got some range there if you watch those two movies. Oh yeah, but Richard Crenna, yeah, balls the wall one of the, one of the best eighties douchebag villains <laughs> of comedy, of action, of drama. And he rocks, dude. He's so fucking good in this. Dude, the scene in the restaurant with the lobsters and yeah. the, my table and my, is this your <laughs> wife? And he's pushing his wife. And then he's like, is this your tie? Is this your shirt? Are these your shorts? <laughs> that whole thing, dude. And him and Candy have a great chemistry together. Yep. And somehow they won up to his dickishness at the fucking funeral. <laughs> oh God, dude. Right. <laughs> Holy shit. He's such a shitbag. Dude, it's like we, we, when you see like Easy Money or something like that, where he, this feels, this, this movie almost feels like it was maybe could have been built for Rodney Dangerfield at some point. Yeah. But it obviously just fits John Candy better. But boy, I've, I felt like that, that whole funeral moment could have been right out of a Dangerfield oh, yeah. movie. And yes. But Richard Crenna, dude, he's so great in this. But who else is in this? You already mentioned Carrie Green. Right. Who just a month before this dropped, she was a goonie. Yeah, man. 
And something else too, we talked about just last month with all the January dumping grounds. Technically speaking, August wasn't a good time to get dropped in the summertime. No, it was not. And this came out the the beginning, the second weekend. August, of August. 9th or something? Yeah, right? yeah. And it did really well considering it was, it, it wasn't a big movie, but for John Candy, first first face out there, almost 25 mil, that's not bad for 1985 and especially at the end of the of a summer. No, not at all, man. And back to Cary Green, dude. Cary Green is like my 15-year-old crush, right? Like yeah. between this, Lucas, right. the Goonies. I mean, I'm even going to throw out three for the row with Charlie Sheen and Alan Ruck. <laughs> yeah, you get Cary two, you know, less than a month apart, you know, in 85 and the next year you get her in Lucas with the other Corey, Corey Haim. She's so good in this too. And she fits the part perfectly. Sometimes you get the older daughter, the one that was almost of age and you were trying to, trying to entice the older teenage boys. I'm like, oh, she's kind of like, because at the time, like, there weren't any really girl crushes or like teen beat and all the tiger beat shit. That was always boys that were on the covers of those right. things. But she was definitely one of those ones that stood out. But yeah, but Lucas, boy, I've, I give it as if, if those oh. two movies didn't do it for you, Lucas did it for you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Especially Lucas, dude. She's so sweet in Lucas. Yeah. And even though she's in love with Charlie Sheen's character, I mean, she's not, a, you know, it, it's again, that there's two performances from 80s teen movies where I'm like, God, they really nailed it. And, and, and Lucas with Carrie Green is one of them. The other one is Leah Thompson's character in Some Kind of Wonderful, right? Yep. yep. You don't, she's not playing, you, there, you don't dislike her, like even though she's making the wrong choice or is she making the right choice? But that role could so easily be portrayed as bitchy and they both nailed it. So this is, this before we turn this into a Carrie Green side project, let me just go back. Let's, let's go, let's talk about the rest of the cast because <laughs> the other guy in this movie who, who makes the fucking wheels turn on the car going down the gravel road is Rip Torn. Yep. And uh, dude, the, him, Candy and Rip Torn's chemistry, dude, when, yep. when he's there and he's getting hammered, right? And, and they, they go into the thing and they're, it turns into the drinking montage and yep. they're throwing darts and they're yep. both shit faced. <laughs> I mean, their chemistry to, it together is, it's fantastic. Yep. You know, so, I mean, but I, I want to say maybe, I feel like I could say that, I could say what I'm saying about every John Candy movie. Yep. John Candy's chemistry with everybody he interacts with and I just think it's a trip. I mean, it's John Candy, right? That's the common denominator. It's it's him. Right. I just feel he was this wonderful person who was easy to work with and fun to be around. And it always comes across on screen. And what's crazy to me is he was 34 when they made this movie. Yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, God, what was I, you know, at 34, what I mean, he's just, he's, I mean, again, this movie, like I said, I fall in love with it even more every time I see it. Right. Because they're just, he's so at ease and so comfortable. And so his, he's so smart. His timing is so perfect. It's a shame we lost him so soon. Yeah. But let's not go down that road yet. But because no. I'm just going to keep going with the cast. So this made me laugh. And I think you'll agree. Karen Austin, yep. dude, who does she remind you the most of when you watch this movie? Like you're like, you could see, who else could you see playing Sandy Chester? I, I feel like she got cast for that very reason. And who does she remind you of in another sort of iconic 80s summer family movie? Beverly D'Angelo. A hundred percent, dude. Yeah. I mean, she even looks like Beverly yeah. D'Angelo. Yeah. And there's, there's points when they're like sitting at the tables and stuff. And they're having their morning chat once they realize, you know, when they've moved in, when they've been interrupted and moved yeah. out of the house in the middle of the night. 
and they wake up in the, in the next morning and she's sitting at the table and they're, and they're trying to talk over the construction. Right. <laughs> she, dude, does it get more Beverly D'Angelo than that? No. And I, I was, it's funny. Cause I, when I was watching the movie, I had texted Tom and I'm like, does John Candy ever do a movie where he's not involved with somebody hot, like right? either married or a girlfriend or somebody he's pursuing? But it's, you can buy it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, totally. Totally. It, it's like, it, and he's always been that way because he's just charming as fuck. That's all yes, there's to it. Correct. Even in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles where he's just this lowly widowed man. Oh, I'm sorry if I ruined that for somebody. <laughs> no, come on. Everybody's seen <laughs> I'm that. I'm kidding. Movie. You he you can't help but fall in love with him even when he's at his most annoying like he is in planes. This so the, the connection you have with this movie, any and almost every John Candy character because he play, he plays the everyday man where he's whether whether he's a security guard or he's a cop or he's an air traffic controller. Like we talked about before we got on mic, when have you ever seen a movie where air traffic controller is the is the lead character of a movie? Right. But it's that that's the setup. You know, the man's been so, so consumed and so burned out from being an air traffic controller that uh, he lets a fly on his radar. <laughs> right. Cover up the plane that he's been talking to, thinking the plane's been lost off the radar. And he panics and his supervisor finally goes and wipes the, shoots, vacation. the shoots the fly away and says, dude, you're stressed out. You need to take a break. Dude, what I love is that they carry that fly joke through the entire movie. Him with the fly swatter, the whole deal. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not making a meal about it, but if you're paying attention, that shit's going on through the whole movie. Him swatting the fucking fly. Right. He swats at the kid, picking the booger on the window, all right. of it. Again, like we had talked about before we got on mic too about SCTV. It's this sort of it's not always going for the easy laugh. It's going for the, you're playing long game, right? right. Yeah. There's, there's several examples of this throughout this movie and, and throughout most candy movies. Here's the thing. Somebody was, like you said earlier, one crazy summer, you know, and I was reading some of these, you know, I don't know who, I don't know these feature, these reviews that people write on IMDb where they're like, well, there seems to be a lot of unanswered subplot. And I'm like, you just, do you not even understand 80s fucking comedies, you dumbass? <laughs> I mean, everything doesn't have to be resolved and tied up in a bow. I mean, right. I feel like whoever wrote that is, I never gave a shit about any of those things other than I wanted them to win the regatta. Right. That's all that mattered to me, man. Right. Whatever there's subplots doesn't matter. None of them are supposed to be tied up in a bow. There's nothing missing. You know, there's not 20 minutes of like footage missing that they made Carl Reiner cut out. This is an 86 minute movie. That's all it needs to be. Yep. It's smart. It's funny. It, the pacing is great. And that's what the effect of 80s comedy was, was, was just this accessible thing where it's so easy for you to relate to the guy. And for the women, it was so easy to relate to the wife or the girlfriend or whatever. And anybody you talk to, even, I mean, you know, women I've talked to over the years and talking about John Candy, I'm like, oh, he was so charming. And like, and I know some, I know there's a lot of men in this world that don't want to believe this, but humor... <laughs> It's a big deal for a significant other that's looking for a mate. If you're not funny, if you're not humorous, if they don't get along with you, that's where it all, it, it starts there. And that's why John Candy was such a draw yeah. to, to men and women. You wanted to like, oh yeah, he's like, what a, I, I can relate to this dude. He's got this, he's got the same job I've got. Or I know a brother that has the same job he has. I can relate to you. Yeah, man. Totally. It's like when he says to Skelly, Skelly, man. 
I dig you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the booze target. I mean, no, of course it's not. Dude, like he's a guy, dude, like I would be friends with John Candy. Right. No doubt in my mind. I would want to hang out and drink beer with him and, you know, shoot the shit and, and do stupid shit throw darts at each other, whatever, man. <laughs> I'm in for all of it. Right. The, the sailing montage alone makes this movie worth watching. If that was all this movie was, I could actually live with that. Right. right? A couple of run-ins with Krenna in a sailing montage with him and Rip Torn. Right. Done. Done. But. <laughs> you know what I didn't remember? It, and I don't know why. And I think I remember it every time I watch it, which I always forget that little young Bobby Chester is Joey Lawrence. Yeah. And the moment you see him, you're like, oh, fuck, Joey Lawrence. I totally forgot. Right. He was right in the middle of his run with Give Me a Break with Nell Carter on yeah. God, NBC. That was on 83 to 87. When you see Joey Lawrence, we kind of, you're trying to do that thing, though, in a lot of the movies like this, Mrs. Doubtfire, this. You're trying to figure out which Lawrence kid is, am I looking at here? Exactly. You have to remember when the movie came out. So you go, oh, it's this one. Um, fortunately for everybody, Joey Lawrence doesn't have that ridiculous he hair that he had on <laughs> Give Me a Break. No where, doubt. Where they had that with a Dutch boy hair, right? <laughs> so ridiculous. Boom. That's the, I mean, that covers the cast pretty well. I mean, you got some other little supporting people here and there, but you won't know by name, but you know by face. What was interesting about this movie is you, you were hearing about, when you would see people come on like Carson or Letterman, and they're they're promoting a movie. A lot of times, the movie they're promoting, they haven't been on that set in a year, and that was real common for it to take some that long to put a movie out from from when yeah. they shot it when it got released. The last day that they shot on this movie was May fifteenth, nineteen eighty five, and the silly ass movie yeah. came out two months later, three months later. Excuse me, that's crazy. And it was all shot mostly in St. Petersburg, Florida, and, and then the, all the airplane stuff and air traffic stuff was shot near where you're at right now. Yeah, very, very close. Well, it was Atlanta, but I mean, you know, where in Atlanta? Hampton, Georgia, yeah. Well, Hampton is out, is out where the racetrack where we shot One Fast Move is. Out. That's where the Atlanta Motor Speedway is now. Oh, see, there you go. So, yeah, very close. Been, I mean, you know, had I only realized that when I was there, I would have taken a picture of me standing in front of the Hampton, you know, welcome to Hampton sign. There's little funny little things about this movie uh, throughout the production. Let me just mention such a, for two months they shot this movie. That's a, that's a long time for a comedy too. And for such a, a quick turnaround three months later, it was like, it, it wasn't like it was a rushed thing, but what was interesting about this whole movie it was fully developed for John Candy by, at the time, Barry Diller, Michael Eisner, and Jeffrey Katzenberg were all still at Paramount. Right. Before Eisner and Katzenberg bailed for Disney. It's weird to mention Eisner and Katzenberg and not think of them from Disney going forward because they were there so long and at that stage where they brought Disney back from the dead. But unfortunately, the movie didn't get didn't go into production before they had already left to go work at Disney. But that's pretty wild. Uh, that that's this is where Paramount started building up their catalog. This and Eddie Murphy movies, and they just had that relationship with John Hughes. Obviously, it's not John Hughes movie. They built their '80s filmography just from comedies and, and action movies, and then they got into the thriller thing later on towards the end of the '80s. But this one really started. A, I guess technically. Beverly Hills Cop was kind of starting that that trend in '84, right? Where they were building up that that action that, comedy, action comedy thing. And this movie is such a fucking great time, and it doesn't. A lot of times you know, with the '80s movies too, when you're when you build something for a, a certain actor, or 
it get they try to wedge certain things in there. Now, John Candy didn't have the thing that you have with Rodney Dangerfield. They kind of basically with Rodney Dangerfield try to work his act into a script. And you got that, of course, with Ford Fairlane with Dice when that came around. And a little bit, you got that a little bit too with 40, with 48 Hours. You got a little bit of that, but not too bad. He, this isn't a stand-up guy. John Candy is an improv live performer. And for him to get in front of a camera, there was no shtick they had to build around. He was just a genuinely nice, likable dude. And like, well, let's put him in a situation that everybody can relate to. I'm not an air traffic controller, but I, I can only imagine what a fucking shitty job it is. God, dude, right? I saw Summer Rental and knew I never wanted to be one. <laughs> right. But also when we were kids, there was a big air traffic controller strike like right. 80, right, a couple years before this, right. like 83. So it was all over the newspapers when I was a kid. And I didn't know what any of that really meant. It was on the news all the time. And my grandfather used to go, oh, no, that, that, those assholes complained about it. So I just, you know, to me, I was like, oh, that all I knew about air traffic controllers is they had been on strike. And John Candy played one in some rental and it was super stressful and he tried to swat a fly. So that's what I knew about him. But I also knew I didn't want to be one. I mean, not taking anyone away because look, I fly a lot and I appreciate that, you know, I've yet to be put in a situation where I was not grateful that there was somebody in a booth paying attention and landing me safely. So air traffic controllers, I salute you. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I was going to say, look, man, if you want to visit uh, Scully's restaurant, I think Billy's Stone Crab Seafood and Steaks is still is still around down in Tampa. Holy crap. <laughs> so if you're down in the if you're down in Tampa Bay, Florida, check it out, man. <laughs> Hit Billy's Stone Crab and ask for Scully. <laughs> what the hell was the name of the ship? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> what is the name of this ship? God damn it. Uh, it's Fuck, it's the name of the restaurant, isn't it? Scully. Well, it's Scully's restaurant is what it's called. It's called Stully's... Sto is it, it's not Stully's Stone Crab Seafood and Steaks. They didn't steal it. Did they just call it Scully's Restaurant in the movie? Or did they call it Stully's Stone Crab Seafood and Steaks? Oh, the Barnacle. <laughs> the Barnacle, right. <laughs> the Barnacle. The, the ship was called the Barnacle. <laughs> Dude, that sea where, where Candy rams the little sailing boat into fucking Krenna's boat is fucking so good, dude. Okay, we we talked a little bit about a couple of moments where you think with a movie like this, it's just a comedy. But there's lots of like little Easter eggs. Like you talk about the Rick Waite one. There's another one in here too. It's and it's little things, dude. It's tiny again, it's it's with repeat viewing, it kind of clicks. I didn't click for me at at 16, but you know what it clicked for me like this last time I watched it? There's a moment where they're getting the barnacle all ready for their gata and they're doing it, giving it a once over in the paint job and the whole Chester family is involved with painting it and, and they repainting the deck. <laughs> yes. And the wife ends up at the front of the boat painting herself into a corner and then she calls for Jack. Jack sticks his head up and he goes, what? He goes, you paint yourself in a corner, huh? And he goes, I kind of did the same thing down here. He painted himself in the corner, period, by by challenging Richard Crennan to this race. Yes. And it was like, it, and it's like, they don't beat you over the head with it because the movie's this old and I didn't get it till this time. It's just the scenario, not so much the, the obviousness of being painted into a corner. That's what I mean about, you know, again, the kind of the long game, right? Right. There, there's so much, if you're paying attention, it's funny because, uh, 
the assistant art director I'm working with, uh, uh, Harshita Reddy, she's from India and she's lovely and she's 32 years old and she had never seen this movie. And I, and I put it on at the end of our work day today because she was just kind of killing time because she, she was going to go to the gym. She, I had started and she came in and she noticed she sat down and she's watching and she watched like 20 minutes of it. And she just turned to me and said, that is exactly like my grandfather. <laughs> and I'm like, your grandfather? She's like, yes, but Indian. And I was like, right. you got to be kidding me. I said, your grandfather was like, and she's like, it's, it's uncanny. Uh, and I was laughing my ass off and That's she had awesome. never seen it, dude. And she was laughing at like every joke, like none of it was escaping her. And it was just so much fun to see somebody who wasn't born when this movie came out. And she was like, oh, what is this called? I want to watch it. And I was like, I said, look, the TV's here. We're, we, you know, it, we can, you can, you can come in and put it back on and watch the rest of it anytime you want. It, it was really funny. It was a, it was a funny moment because I haven't, I, I have not seen this movie with people who haven't seen it since 1985. Yeah. Like every repeat viewing I've ever done has either been by myself or with my brother or somebody else who's seen this movie before. Yeah. I think it's great when you, when a movie like this can be introduced to somebody, no matter how old they are. And see, there it is. A movie that old is how totally relatable somebody that, that you wouldn't think would be relatable to. Or, or just somebody who didn't grow up here and right. didn't, didn't really, you know, I don't know how familiar she was with John Candy because John Candy died before she was born. Right. I mean, if that doesn't just fucking, like it kind of, it cooked my noodle. when I was like, oh God, because I know how old she is. And I was like, John Candy died before you were born. He has like, I'm not going to say no relevance, but like she just doesn't have any frame of reference for him. Right. You know, Rip Torn in this, he was just a couple of years away from doing Larry Sanders, right? Yeah. Because 80, uh, oh, that was like, I was like, oh, shit, I got he, probably, he was probably 10 years away. I mean, dude, he, uh, the 80s is, you know, I could, I could rattle off a half a dozen movies that Rip Torn, Extreme Prejudice. Right. Flashpoint, all, you know, all these movies that I've, that I always rattle on about and lots of them that we've talked about several times, but to me, this might be my favorite Rip Torn performance of the eighties. Yeah, I get, I'm with you there. That's fair. And, and, and there's a lot of them, but dude, he's, he's perfect for this movie. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I talk about Richard Crenna a little bit about, but you know, we only mentioned a couple of things we mentioned Flamingo Kid and, and then the Rambo movies, but the way he plays things in this is very like you're such a dick, but then you can watch like Jade. It's not a well, it's not a well viewed movie. It's a lot of people haven't seen it, but to see him play something serious like that, just as you, uh, you know, just the couple of years before that doing hot shots part do complaining completely straight, kind of goofing on Troutman yep. a little bit playing Colonel Denton Walters. And then fast forward to, because I, I thought the way he played in Hot Shots was a lot like Leslie Nielsen. Yes. Fast, fast forward a couple of years and he's in a movie with Leslie Nielsen where it's wrongfully accused. Right. The, the fugitive uh, parody. Right. And that was the last, I think that was the last thing he did. Yeah. He, pancreatic cancer, I think, right? Like I remember when it, it was a bummer, man. Because I mean, dude, Richard Crenn is in one of my favorite movies that you hate, Leviathan. <laughs> Well, I don't hate it. Right. But you, but yes, you don't revere it like I do. No. Well, you know what else is weird? I just realized that I'm, I'm going on about, now I got to say, I might have to backtrack a little bit, but I'm going to say it's a tie between this movie and Defending Your Life. 
for rip torn performances yeah. for 1980s movies. Well, but this one, he's just, this character is unique rip. But when yes. you see him and defending your life, it's very much as Larry Sanders character. Correct. It's, 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 yes, it, it's hundred percent is. Cause if you've seen Larry Sanders. Yeah. He's our, yeah. But like, most people didn't see defending your life until it had been out for a while. And that point, right. Artie, you know, they've already been familiar with Artie on, on Larry Sanders show, but the movie came before Larry Sanders. Yeah. You know, that's what it was. You know, Shanley just says, do that thing. <laughs> do that thing do that you thing do. you did in the Albert Brooks movie. That's Artie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm sure that he was cast as Artie based on Defending Your Life. Sure. It's hard not to make the correlation between just, just the fact it's the same actor. He's de he definitely gives the same kind of energy to both parts. It was funny because we were talking about um, doing one other movie before it got shortened. And then it just worked out in our favor since we got back to... Um, the January show is a little bit late. Movie's a little bit late. We feel like there's going to be a lot of this where we're covering a very specific movie and the other half of it is just generalizing about John Candy as a performer and how revered he was by everybody back when he worked and for these decades after so yeah, that he's passed. It's like, I can't believe he's been gone that long. It doesn't sound right to me that he's been passed, passed on what, how many years now? Candy? Oh, God, it'll it'll 30 be, years, dude. It'll be 30 years next year. 29 years on March 4th, shooting uh, Wagons East? Yes, with uh, Richard Lewis. You know what? It's just for being generalized, and we knew we were going to do this with the first episode. Let's talk about briefly for a moment, because we talked about Blues Brothers in, in a little bit of a, and we did mention vacation, you know, playing the guard at, at Wally World and his little part in, you know, cameo in Home Alone. Only the Lonely we mentioned quite a bit a while back, and that was going to be the movie that we were going to do, but unfortunately it's a difficult movie to track down. Yes. But fucking JFK. Yeah, dude. I just I just was talking about this today, about JFK and about how fucking awesome Candy is in it. You, you kind of see him kind of being a little bit of a dick in Blues Brothers, right? He's this kind of ball buster guy. But JFK let you know, like, it wasn't like that, oh, hey, John Candy's in this Oliver Stone movie. Nope. And you see him, and you don't for one second see a comedian. No. It, it's like the first time you saw Robin Williams, you own from Work and Mindy, right? But when you see him in Garp, you're in. Yeah, totally. It's the same thing with John Candy and JFK. And it's like one of those things you're like, man, I wish he was in the movie more. And you know what? I'm not a big Oliver Stone fan across the board. But good for him for, you know, approving that casting choice. Because fuck, dude. He... Candy is so greasy in that movie. He almost yep. slides off the screen. Yep. And having worked a lot in New Orleans, I know a lot of people, dude, he nails it. Yeah. I, I've met a lot of people in New Orleans that I would say John Candy must have done some character study based on these people. Because, uh, yeah, it doesn't, I mean, it's one of my favorite candy performances and it's, and he's only in like one or two scenes, but he, like, again, he's a scene stealer. Those, those, you remember him vividly from JFK. Yep. Yep. It, see, to me, he was more than just, oh yeah, he's a comedian because I mean, even in things like Uncle Buck and Only the Lonely, I mean, he's, he's touching your heart, man. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a gift, right? It's like, but what I'm realizing from this movie and then the one we're going to talk about next week, he's, he's always kind of doing it. And I think back to like, you love him in Stripes, dude. Like they're in that scene where they're all talking about why the, you know, it, he's just open and honest about why. And it, there's this an honesty that always comes through in Candy's performances. Like you're, you're seeing the real him, 
and, and somehow he's putting it out in his performance and it's never taking you out of the movie, like, but it really stays with you forever. Right. I could watch any John Candy movie anytime. I don't have to be like in a mood to watch something funny. I mean, I could sit down. I don't even know if I would consider them not good movies. Like I, dude, I could watch the great indoors any day of the week. Yeah. And the great indoors is just this movie. It's just this. It is, dude. That's funny because when I was when I was a kid, when it came out, I was like, "Wait a second! Didn't he already make some rental?" And it's just a variation. Uh, and and, uh, and instead of Richard Crenna, we get Aykroyd kind of playing play the but, brother-in-law, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get away from it. You're renting a cabin, right? You know, it's you're you're tied to it. But that's the thing. That's why it works. I mean, when, and also, I'm going. Since you mentioned stripes, dude. His character of Ox, you think he's just a big goofy guy, just oh sure, sure, sure. Like he's an agreeable dude. But when he did come out of when they come out of shaving their head, oh god, and, dude. And he grabs a hold of, of Harold Ramis when he's searching the Hyde Krishner bit. It's like you instantly go, Oh my god, he's gonna beat that dude's ass. He's gonna break his neck. <laughs> he's gonna shake him to death. Oh yeah, dude. He's so wonderful in everything. It's like, and it's nice. And Stripes really, I mean, I, I mean, I sue Blues Brothers, but he's in Stripes a lot more, even though he's more of a supporting guy. Again, I'll briefly, like I said, I mentioned before in Vacation, Going Berserk, which is another one Splash. of those. And by the way, there's something about Splash and I, I wanted to, and some people aren't aware of this, but it was one of the first Disney live action movies in decades as far as under the Disney brand. Under their oh yeah Walt Disney Pictures was it Touchstone or was it I, yeah I, I'm kind of blanking on them for sure right now, but there's a moment in there where Eugene Levy who is in pursuit of the existence of mermaids for so long he finally realizes he's fucked up and now he's trying to help Tom Hanks and John Candy out and getting uh, Daryl Hannah who has now been captured by the government. But Eugene Levy tells them they're the Swedish doctors that are supposed to come here to study the mermaid. And so <laughs> they're having an encounter with one of the military guards that actually is Swedish. And he starts speaking Swedish to John Candy and he kind of like doesn't looks at John, it looks at Tom Hanks as I don't know what to say. And he starts spouting sp Swedish back to him. But the only Swedish he knows is what he heard in some Swedish erotica porn. Yes. So he's talking about how big his dick is in, in subtitle form, obviously. But when that thing aired, when Splash aired on the Disney Channel, not Disney Plus, but Disney Channel, they changed the subtitles. Of course they did. It's just, I, I can't remember what it says. It says something completely different. And then right afterwards, there's an exchange where Tom Hanks gets explained to John Candy about what he actually said and how he knows how to speak that speak the Swedish. They cut that part out completely. And it was funny because I'm like, I'm like, of course they cut it out, but it was weird. Like what they put in its place didn't make any sense because they just cut it and never explained how we know Swedish at all. Right. It was just really, really silly. But that moment, again, he's talking about having a big dong, <laughs> but it's still charming as shit. And honestly, in Splash, he's kind of a dick to his brother. He's kind of a dick to Tom Hanks. He is, but dude, at the end, he comes through and he's, and, he, and he's, and again, right? Like it's one of those moments we see in his character that above all that bottom line is he loves his brother and he'll do whatever it takes to help his brother right. find true love. And we and we already know that John Candy and Eugene Levy work well together because of SCTV. But then people saw them together on screen in Splash and then they put them together in Armed and Dangerous. Oh, yeah. 
which is on our was was on our short list of what we were going to cover this month because right we talk about this. There's no shortage of movies. I, this is like when we were picking movies for, for we, we the list was too long, dude. I mean, look, uh, here's the things, guys. I'm going to just rattle off a few that we didn't pick because. We didn't pick Brewster's Millions, which we love. Almost did. We almost did. We almost did. Right? We did. We, we yep. did Walter Hill month. We almost covered it. We, we've almost covered it twice. Yeah. But I, I'm just going to go real quick. I'm going to go. Here's the movies we didn't talk. We, we we talked about doing volunteers because it's, again, it's it's kind of a weird guilty pleasure movie, but it's also a lot of John Candy and it's a reunite. It's a, it's a reuniting Hanks and Candy. Right. And I find the movie to be ridiculously funny, right. even though it was kind of, again, it was a movie that probably was slept on. And I remember it wasn't received well. It's a movie that was on our shortlist. We didn't get to, we talked about Armed and Dangerous. Right. Uh, we talked about Planes, Trains, but we didn't do it because we're saving that for another time. Right. The Great Outdoors, obviously. Who's Harry Crumb? I mean, I want to say for... John Candy being so young when he passed away, if you look up his credits, his, the list of things he's in is unbelievably long. Yeah. His, his film biography is unbelievably long. And it, I mean, it goes back into the mid seventies, like, yep. and when he was in his twenties, it's, it's remarkable to me that the, the impact that John Candy had on not only Hollywood for sort of, he, he kind of set the role. He kind of, he kind of became the guy, Right. When people went, yeah, oh man, you don't have to be svelte and handsome to be like a leading man. You have to be charming. You have to be fun. People have to like you. I mean, maybe that all works too, right? Yep. Even if I'm not, there's only one John Candy, there's only one movie that John Candy has a fairly large part in that I'm not crazy about. And I think anybody who really knows me will know what it is without me saying it. Cause I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil our episode by throwing out a movie that I'm not a fan of. There's one and you'll figure it out. At some point, I'm sure you already know what it is, Corey. Because uh, that's mine too. Yeah, I think it's the same one. We don't we don't <laughs> care about it. But I would watch it for candy mm -hmm. just because if it was on, I would probably leave it on. I would never pick it to watch it. No. But I do enjoy, you know, he's just not in it enough and it's not very good. <laughs> all, all of those things. And there's too much of other people in it that I don't There's too many other for. people, right, who aren't funny or aren't entertaining. And I, I could, I don't need... You know, I don't need a lot of them. Yeah. But God, this movie is so good. And if you haven't seen it, or if you haven't seen it in a long time, I mean, I feel like you, it's on Prime right now. Yeah. And it's been on Prime forever. It's on P Plus too. Right. It's on both. So I watched it on Prime. I didn't think about Paramount Plus because literally I had, I had saved it in my queue on Prime so long ago that it was just there. So I was like, oh, I'm watching it there. But I, I could wax on for another twenty or thirty minutes about how much I love this movie. But I think you all will get the point. Is there anybody we? Is there anything we've forgotten that we wanted to like cast wise, or is there anybody? Because no. I, I don't want to forget anybody who's in it because everybody in it is really right down to these. I mean, I don't even know half these character actors, but I'm gonna say everybody in that funeral scene is fucking perfect. Yeah, <laughs> down to the background. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like they just rounded up a bunch of seniors down in Florida and like just had a milling about, you know, I mean, and Krenna again, if there's anybody stealing a scene in, in that movie, it's, mm. it's Krenna in that moment. Yeah. When John Candy gets to the funeral home and he's met by, I'm, uh, is that, who's the guy that he meets with? In the funeral home? Yeah. In the, in the, the lobby there. Who is that guy? Oh, you mean the actor? Yeah. I mean, who's who, the character playing? Who's the guy? Who's he playing? 
he's the attorney for the landlord oh, of, that's the, what uh, it of is. the house. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, it doesn't, it was, of the it, rental house. It was weird how the weird exchange. It was because you never really, I don't even, does he have any dialogue? Yeah, he just says something about the new owner wants to meet you here or something. Oh, that, right, right, something right. That effect. When you just said that, I was replaying the whole scene in my head and I felt like it was all candy saying they like the guy was just giving him the cue to take the hat off. Like he didn't say anything. And Candy was like giving you all the exposition for, he was giving you both sides of the conversation right. as they walked in there. But maybe he did have one line. But we mentioned the funeral scene earlier with Krenna and how great he is in it. When Candy and the attorney walk off screen, we cut to the funeral home. We, we cut to the inside of where the service is and where the coffin is. And there's Krenna talking with his lawyer and, and uh, the other lawyer that's that's selling the property, John Candy and the other and, and the other attorney that met him in the lobby, they don't come into the shot forever, no, like forever. Right. And I just, I think Carl Reiner had a just a, Richard Crenna was rolling, and he just kept it in. And I don't, I don't think they cued John Candy and the other actor to come in because Crenna was just killing it. Yeah, because there's it's it's a long time before when they leave the screen. I mean, usually just for continuity reasons, you almost they cut to another scene. They're walking into the room, but no, it's a it's a good thirty seconds before he yeah. comes, become walking in. Yeah, what what's so great about it is it's also it's such a real life thing. Like you know how many times it's letting you know what's happening in the scene before the scene. Right, it's actually quite fun because Grant is just fucking on fire, dude. Dude, it's when so good when he lifts the coffin to say, "I would have paid you anything." <laughs> God. Yeah, dude. Oh my God. I mean, such an <laughs> asshole. And you know, it was probably, I swear that's just Krenna probably just, you know, they, they probably rehearsed a few times and, 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 you know, it probably just struck Krenna as funny and he did it in the moment. It's cause it seems so, so organic and unrehearsed. Knowing how long he and Carl Reiner have been in the game for, they probably knew each other. They probably crossed paths. Who knows? They probably, you know, were tossing them back throughout the whole shoot, but yeah. you could definitely could see that there was uh Reiner gave Krenna just carte blanche to go fucking crazy. And cause you don't see him, you don't see Krenna like this in any other movie. And not like, not like this anyway, a little bit with Flamingo kid, but, it's, but it's just a different tone of that movie completely. Not like it is in this where he's just kind of, right. He plays that ultimate summer comedy villain that you wanted to play. And he plays it so well and so yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah, he's great in it. I, I want to. I just want to throw out. There was. There's another really fun little. It's a very kind of throwaway part. It could have been a throwaway part, but I want to just throw it out there to the late Dick Anthony Williams, who plays Dan Gardner, the actual owner of the first rental house where they think they're supposed to be for the summer. Right. He is a longtime character actor, but he's a Carl Reiner alumni from The Jerk. He plays Taj in The Jerk, and you know you you've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Edward Scissorhands, and you know on and on, but. That just that whole scene. And then at the end of it, when Candy goes, I forgot my Noxema, and he runs upstairs, and my daughter, and she's like, Daddy, I wet my bed. He's like, oh, you didn't wet your bed, honey. You wet their bed. And then just the look <laughs> on his face, on on uh, on Dick Anthony Williams' face, it, it's priceless. It's a really good moment. Like, he doesn't overplay it. He's not not trying to steal the scene. And he almost steals the scene by not stealing the scene, right. if that makes any sense. <laughs> the cast works so well across the board. And the characters you want to stand out, stand out. And the ones that you want to be just comfortably in there, be antagonistic or being supportive of our leads, it, it, they're just there. And it works so perfectly. This is this is the attributed to Carl Reiner and just knowing what he wants. Is you get the same vibe with the with the big cast that he gets next time he comes around with the comedy. And that's 
summer school in 87. I mean, you got people in that, a lot of people you recognize, a lot yep. of people you never heard of, a lot of people built careers off of that, of off that movie. And yeah. And Courtney Thorne Smith. Yep. It goes without saying, I, I think as much as John Candy is the star of, of our month, this movie really was, was, uh, John was allowed to be who he, who he would be the charming leading man he could be, whether, whether it was slapsticky or whether he just plays it straight like he does in this. Carl Reiner gave him that space and, and the, the rest of the cast to kind of just do what they wanted to do. And, and it, that's why the movie works so well to be this old, right? <laughs> 29, yeah. 20, and what are we at now? 30, 30, how many years? <laughs> 16, Th- 38 years, 30, 38, well, 30, 37. It's 2023. 37 so and a half be, years. It's going to be 38 years in August. <laughs> Dude, the fact that we're approaching 40 years on that, it's older than John Candy was when he made it. Yeah. Absolutely. There you go. All right. Well, this is a good start for the month because we've been wanting to, we got close to doing John Candy month a while back. and Right. We just we just needed to figure out when to do it. And this is the perfect time because yep. what's better on Valentine's Day than, you know, three boxes of candy. And that's what you're going to get this, val- this, mm. this Valentine's month. See, can we, you always say I got corny and cheeky stuff. Eh, it's okay, man. <laughs> you only said it before me. Yeah, I know. I just <laughs> snuck it out. That's all. Oh shit! If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's at Karate Pod. Same thing with Insta and Letterboxd. Or if you want to follow Corey on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Cope on an Insta at Culprit ninety seven. If you like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll thirty three on your Instagram, or you can follow me at Tom Cody, aka Skelly at what is that called? Letterboxd.com. <laughs> Something like that. That's letterboxd.com, ladies and gentlemen. 